Welcome to the Mere and Powerful Podcast, where we believe in going far by going together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Empowerful Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Pape. And I'm Rebecca Pape. It's good to be with you. Did you know we have the same last name? We, how about that? How about <laughs> that? I wonder if our listeners would like for us to banter a little bit more probably. than we do in our intro. They probably expect some marriage banter. We're going to have to... We'll have to up our banter game. Banter another time. All right. Today, we sat down with Melissa Campbell, the executive director of the Washington Farmland Trust. And we had an awesome conversation about, well, farmland in Washington, for one. Yes, so many things. They are a great nonprofit. They were started over 20 years ago, uh, in part by PCC, which is a, an amazing co-op uh, grocery store here locally in the Seattle uh, Pacific Northwest area. And I was just really impressed by her knowledge of farming and just uh, really passion to merge kind of urban and um, rural farms and communities together. I think that we had a lot of conversations about community and what that means. Uh, and she's actually living, living it out. Yeah, so formerly known as PCC Farmland Trust, uh, Washington Farmland Trust just went through a rebrand and uh, publicly announced yesterday um their reasons for the change and so we spent quite a bit of time talking about that um they also have a virtual benefit concert coming up in partnership with viva farms which is another um nonprofit um in the skagit valley that uh mir has supported over the years mm -hmm. uh the benefit concert is uh end of september september 30th and they have an amazing program lined up including a performance from dave matthews band that's right so we talk about that too we encourage you to buy tickets you're gonna have to listen to find out uh more about that um but without further ado we um are excited to introduce to you the lovely melissa campbell melissa welcome to the podcast thanks for having me yeah, it's great to have you on. Thanks for uh, spending time with us today. We're, we're excited to, to dive in. We are. Yeah. Uh, we, we always love to kick things off. Uh, just by ask, Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you are in this work from home craziness and uh, where in the world are you? And um, you're, on, you're in our uh, cafe. We're on, you're on a giant 75 inch screen, so uh, we can see you clearly. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> I don't know if you would prefer to know that or not. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I would want to know. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, in these times, our comfort ranges have been stretched for sure. So yes, <laughs> big uh -huh. screen, little screen, it's all good. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm here. I my family and I live in West Seattle in the southern end. So we have the <laughs> the overlay for Seattleites who are aware of uh, COVID and work from home and no bridge. Uh, yeah, you're in double isolation. Yeah. <laughs> you're in quarantine and then like the West Seattle quarantine, yeah. the West Seattle bridge for those who aren't in Seattle, something cracked or broke. You probably know more about this. Yeah. And how broker. do you actually get out right now? I don't really know. <laughs> are they like helicoptering food into West Seattle? <laughs> we, we, we're not sure what's going on. Yeah, uh, we are. We are just short of uh, food drops. Air drops. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're lucky in that we live at, toward the south end of West Seattle. And so we can... Um, go south down through Burien uh, if we're going yeah. south. And then if we want to, you know, dare we want to go north or into the city, we can go through South Park and the First Avenue Bridge. It's just, you know, traffic has always been a thing getting out of West Seattle. And now it's um, just a new route, but getting horribly backed up. And, you know, I think that muscle memory of like, okay, I need to plan an hour ahead. 
to get to the place I want to go. That's really only five miles, but we know it's going to take an hour. That that's kind of the same world that we're living in, except I feel like we're just not practiced at it anymore. We've gotten so used to being at home. And it's like, oh no, I'm just going to go do the thing. And it's five miles away. <laughs> so it'll take, you know, I'll plan ahead with 20 minutes and like, oh no, we're still in that reality where things take a long time. So let, let, yeah. let us stay on the peninsula. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe by 2030, there'll be another bridge uh, to West Seattle. We'll see. <laughs> earlier, earlier this summer, I, when I would go to the grocery store alone in the evenings, I couldn't, each time I went, I couldn't remember that I generally would have to wait outside in a line before entering. And so I would get in this, you know, huffy puffy attitude. Like, I just want to, I just want to get in and get out. And for some reason, I just could not wrap my brain around the fact that like, this is part of just how it's going to go. Yeah. Um, and if there's any bright side to COVID, it is that grocery stores, especially Trader Joe's, that once you do wait outside, but once you do get inside, it's kind of nice. You're like, yeah, I got quiet. some elbow yeah. room. There's yeah. not a ton of people in here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, patience and planning ahead is, um, yeah, those are s skills we're all, you know, relearning, I guess, as we go. Um, but let's, yeah, let's jump into what, what you do. You obviously have a, uh, an incredible, uh, knowledge about farming and agriculture. Um, you've studied that you've been with, uh, we'll get into the rebrand, but what people have formerly known as the PCC, um, land farmland mm -hmm. trust for 12 years. Is that 12 years now? Yeah. Yep. So you're well versed in this. Uh, maybe we should kick things off that it, we're pivot, we're, we're pivoting, right? It's, it's no longer the PCC farmland trust. Tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. So yesterday, September 1st, we officially, um, launched our new brand, uh, we, and name where you are Washington farmland trust. And that was a process that was years in the making. And, um, so we are lucky to not have, we've had a, a nice runway to this, um, decision in part because it has had a lot to do with our relationship with our founder and the community that helped build us through the PCC community. And we really wanted to bring that community along with us in our organizational evolution and our vision for the future. And, um, and so, but, it, and at the same time, we often found when we were doing work outside of King County, really that PCC was more confusing the name rather and mm -hmm. we often talked more about who we are not than who we are. And so, as you can imagine, starting <laughs> any relationship, particularly, you know, real estate relationships that are multiple years long, uh, starting a conversation of, about who you're not versus who you are and what your mission is, is just um, complicated and confusing. And then just the, the continued confusion around, um, you know, do you grow the food? Do you do the farms that you protect source product for PCC and, you know, the list uh, kind of goes on. Uh, the really, got it, got it. the really sweet thing about the name is when we start doing at uh, the old name, rather, when we started doing work in places like, you know, Pierce County, uh, after a few years, and we were kind of part of that community, despite having, you know, been founded in Seattle was, Oh, you're the Pierce County conservation organization like <laughs> that's really i love that you you know want to adopt us in that way and no um so <laughs> but you made that yeah, up that's yeah, actually yeah. not what it stands for yeah <laughs> yeah and you know pcc in southwest washington is portland community college and so just that brand recognition and really just having a name that reflects who we are and the geographies we serve was really important yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I mean, for locals, when I hear the, the acronym PCC, I automatically think of my grocery store, you know, a couple blocks this right. way. And then maybe for people who, um, 
come to be familiar with the Farmland Trust and haven't heard of PCC, they're immediately then like, well, what does that stand for mm. and and why? And um, and two, isn't the isn't the grocery store primarily um, the West? side of Washington state. So now, I mean, obviously you're working in more parts okay. of the state than just the West. So yeah, it makes perfect sense. Thank you. Yeah. We, you know, we didn't want to let go of the farmland piece of our name and the trust. That was really important when we were going through our sort of, um, exploration phase with our community to understand what parts of our name made sense and what people, you know, what was confusing farmland and trust were kind of no brainers and that those were the pieces of the name that really stuck with people. Um, it's just that sort of that statewide geographic representation of where we have been working since our inception. We have been a statewide organization. We've just been recently over the past decade or so really focused in the Puget Sound region. And, yeah. and so having a name that embraces that history and also, you know, has been built by our founder and a lot of the cred credibility and goodwill and support we have in this community here in Puget Sound has a lot to do with the credibility that PCC helped helped us build. And so that right. they're definitely part of our history and will be part of our future as we look to be strategic about our relationship and where we want to go together. And, you know, like any good partnership, we'll come together on issues that um, matter to both of us and we'll go our separate ways on other issues that aren't as aligned for their philanthropic giving or for our organizational mission. And, um, you know, I think that's the beauty of really any effective partnership with this and having a, a corporate, a founder who's a corporate entity to be able to kind of come together and move apart and have that really fluid relationship, I think is, um, you know, it's quite beautiful. And, it's something that um, we're appreciative of and we also want to see more of in, in the area, in the region and how we support nonprofits and all of that. And, you know, that's where people like you come in too, which is part <laughs> of what I appreciate. And I know we'll talk about that, but um, yeah. yeah. So for people who are tuning in who might not know uh, what formerly was PCC uh, Farmland Trust and is now Washington uh, Farmland Trust, what does the organization, what do you all do? So we can serve and, um, and protect farmland across Washington state. And we also make sure that it, um, it <laughs> so we can serve and protect farmland across Washington state. And then we also make sure that that farmland, once it's conserved, is accessible to farmers. And increasingly in our new vision and with our rebrand, and we've just launched a new strategic plan, uh, we also really care about climate resilience and equitable access to land. And, you know, the way we talk about our work is historically we were fighting the bulldozers, you know, in front of the farmland. From development, yeah, yeah. houses and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. And that's always and forever will be probably an issue, probably, it, particularly here in Puget Sound. But we have all of these other pressures that we're facing as a community and um, in our farm communities, whether it's climate change, whether it's, um, you know, socially dis disadvantaged farmers not having access to land, you know, our farmers here in Washington state already face significant barriers with access to land. Our land, um, particularly here in Western Washington is about 15,000 an acre. And wow. it's, it's very expensive. Yeah. And it's going up. That's one thing that hasn't been impacted by COVID. And if anything, farmland prices are continuing to go up. And so if you can imagine those people who do not inherit land, um, having to pay the full price tag of not just the land, but the startup costs, um, it's, it's insurmountable. 
And so that's that's what we are paying attention to and have for a while, but really want to kind of dig in and understand, you know, what is equitable land access look like? How do we serve communities we haven't traditionally served? And how do we keep doing our conservation work um, in a way that we have climate change in mind and where we make those geographic investments and how we think about water availability? You know, on one hand, in Western Washington, we have too much water in some cases and in other parts of our state, we don't have enough. And what we know about climate models is that Washington's going to fare pretty well, you know, relative to climate change. And so we have an opportunity to sort of build these agricultural communities with climate resilience in mind. And so the sort of equity also um, in climate change are are really key features of um, how we hope to move forward as an organization and you know the vision that we have for what strong agricultural communities looks like um, so a long-winded way of saying we protect farmland yeah. and we um, make it accessible to future generations you grew up in the midwest is that I right did, yeah did you grow up on a farm no i no it, it's I don't know. I laugh about this a little bit. So we grew up in town and, you know, it's a town of uh, 3000 people at the time and in town was in town. Um, <laughs> and then when I was in high school, my parents built a house out in the rural area. Um, truth be told, it's all rural. It's in North Northwest <laughs> Ohio. Um, okay. But yeah, no, we, um, my dad worked for Ford, um, was not a farmer. My grandparents were not farmers. Uh, my, my aunt, um, my dad's sister uh, married into a farm family and we spent a heck of a lot of time up there. And so that was, those were in my early years as a child. We spent a lot of time out there and with her family and that sort of formative experience around um, not just, you know, we, my siblings and I talk about, you know, what were your memories from growing up and with Aunt Mary? And it's like, oh, I remember we could feed our watermelon to the pigs and you know, you know huh. and just like seeing a working farm that's growing food for people and the love that the community had for that local farm is just you know it's got to be in the recipe of you know by dna at this point and um so many great memories out there but you know at the same time we also have memories of chasing crop dusters and you know <laughs> um yeah but yeah so we um but you know it's an agricultural community it's definitely um, a community that was served by um, the auto industry as well with Ford plants nearby. And um, in that community also was really shaped by the Mennonite uh, faith and um, religion. You know, it's Christianity, but Mennonite. And that community really shapes, um, really had a lot to do with shaping my beliefs around service. And, you know, we were not Mennonite, and but we grew up in a church and um, you know, service and community and what that means and how we all support each other also had a lot to do with sort of shaping my values from an early stage and a lot of what I believe can kind of help us get through these these times. So agriculture, yes, it was kind of everywhere. These super formative experiences on my aunt's farm and loved it. And but also community. And um, when we were young, we lost our mother and our community really stepped in and helped raise us. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that we, that's not a small thing. And of course, you remember that as a child. But uh, how, how old were you? I, I was happened? four. 
we were oh, wow. four, eight, and twelve, and um, yeah, it's just you know the church came together, and you know church for us was community, and um, the neighbors were community, and we have so many lovely memories of you know getting passed around to houses during, when our mom was sick or you know after she passed, and it's just you know though that's that's community, and we you know we come together in times of need and. Um, I think a lot about that experience right now and just how divided we are right now, especially in rural America. And I, I know that's mm. not necessarily what we're talking about today, but it's just, um, you know, we are so divided and rural America does feel separate from our urban areas. And, you know, our belief as an organization is that we need both. And, you yeah. know, and we just launched this beautiful video where uh, Representative Wilcox says it very succinctly, you know, rural people need the city and city people need the rural community. And, mm. you know, just anyway, just, you know, giving, getting back to my early years and just how much we were shaped by the values of service and community and being in an agricultural community. And, um, you know, that was really everything to us. And um, yeah. Yeah. Well, a ton of thoughts crossed my mind as you were sharing, um, but for sure, uh, that community experience that you just described when your mother passed mm -hmm. away, that is like community in its most tangible form, right? Yeah. Like I think a lot of us, um, you know, we throw around the word community and it's like this idea, but it's not, it, it, there's not an understanding of actually there's reliance mm -hmm. on one another. And we, we, uh, you can just best feel that in, in a time like that where there is a need um, and being willing to accept help too, I think is at least for me. And, and I think whether it's, you know, a, a trait of, uh, men or, or, or just in general Americanism, you know, this idea that you can do it on your own and you can bootstrap it and to figure it out yourself, I think is something that, uh, hopefully we can break, break down over time. Cause when you do need that help and support, that is a challenge to, to be able to willingly accept help. No, 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 no. I got it. Mm -hmm. I got it. I got it to just, just, just say, you know, thank you for, for, for helping during this time. And I think that's a really hard for me. It's really hard to say that. And I think for mm -hmm. many people, and maybe that's a piece that's hard for a community, um, is just that mentality of, I don't need my neighbor. I'm going to do it myself. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the other thing that, um, came to mind when you were talking about service is the idea that, um, we, we serve one another, but when it comes to our relationship with the land, mm -hmm. the land serves us and, I, I don't know, just, just the, the reciprocal, um, dynamic that's required in order for the land to be able to serve us and then for us to serve the land. And, um, you've seen that in different environments too. I mean, even talking about urban versus rural, you've had the unique experience of being a part of both kind of worlds. And so, um, I guess, what could a, what could a question be that could encompass like what that experience was like? I, I guess, okay. So more rural upbringing and then, you know, here you are now in Seattle. So what led to that sort of, um, transition for you? What brought you to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, after graduating from undergrad, I went to Ohio state and had a very, um, typical experience there in studying science and was super into science. And, and then I got married and my husband and I both were looking for a change and, uh, and 
also wanted to go to graduate school. So we came out here based on where we wanted to go to school. And he had been in a medical school that was teaching pretty traditional medicine and and traditional medicine meaning like to become, become an MD. And, you know, me having come from this traditional science background, we were both kind of in search of like that, but something else and couldn't quite put a name on it. And, you know, where he ended was best year in naturopathic medicine. And where I ended was uh, Antioch. And Antioch was, um, is home place is in Ohio. So it did feel a little bit like coming home, but um, Antioch has, a, has and ha does have a focus on social justice and people and community. And my program was called Environment and Community. And I felt like that's the piece that I hadn't quite latched onto in undergrad that I felt like was missing, both from like a personal experience, but also like, let's look at this in sort of an ac academic environment. And so, yeah, so we moved out here and said to ourselves, his program was five years and mine was two, you know, don't worry, family, we'll be back. We love Ohio. And we both kind of looked at each other the first flight back into Ohio after we'd lived here um, for about I don't know, four months or so it was around Christmas time. It was cold and gray and we just left Seattle and we were flying into Ohio and we're just, we kind of looked at each other and we're like, we're not going back, are we? <laughs> and, you know, but it, it's one of those things. I was just talking to someone about this uh, this weekend where it's like, but yet it's still home, right? And we, you know, 15 years later, we still refer to Ohio as home and Seattle's home too. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, so we came out here, intended to go to grad school and then hightail it out of here and honestly couldn't imagine raising a family in a city or um, being able to afford a house in a city, um, creating careers and communities here. And, um, you know, that was the great thing about going to graduate school is we had an immediate community. And, um, and yeah, three kids in a house and careers later in 15 years, we're, <laughs> we're here. I never really could have imagined it. But, you know, the thing that in the sort of urban or the rural transition to urban, you know, my undergrad was in Columbus in an urban environment and I never truly felt comfortable there. It just didn't feel like home. But the thing that was always really hard and doing the work for the trust is that, you know, it's like we're from Seattle doing work in rural areas. And it's like you people from Seattle, um, it's sometimes uh, is yeah. some of the feedback that we got. And it's like, you know, no, I grew up in a town of 3000. My class size was 70. Um, you couldn't yeah. get in a, you know, a fender bender without your parents knowing about it or, <laughs> and, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. so it, it's, it's been an interesting kind of experience to be in the city, but not identify with the city or, um, almost be taken aback. Like, what do you, what do you mean from this city? I'm not from this. Oh, no, you're right. I am. Uh, so it's, it's taken um, some work and some, uh, and several of my colleagues at the trust, a lot of, several of us have grown up in rural areas. And I think that perspective is um, really helpful in doing the work that we do um, and carrying that perspective as much as we're able and also owning, yes, we do live in Seattle and we do carry that perspective as well. Um, but yeah, the, the power of the city and um, being able to grow an organization in a city and just the relationship with PCC being core to our founding years in the early years and us having a home base here in the city has made a lot of sense.
Um, how how long has uh, PCC Farmland Trust been uh, a thing? I know you've been there for 12 years. Give us a little bit more background on when it was started. Yeah, so we were, um, the Farmland Trust was founded 20 years ago. So this is also okay. uh, our 20th wow, anniversary. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, all the plans. Go, let's go big, 2020. Exactly, yeah. all the plans <laughs> we had for 2020 and many of them have shifted. But um, yeah, 2020 is our 20th anniversary. And, you know. Congratulations, that's you. exciting. That is, that's yeah. a good deal. Yeah, you know, we, we kind of, with the name change and, you know, we ha we've always had our own board and always had our own staff, but it just feels like, you know, we're like growing up out of mom and dad's basement and, you know, living on our own. And, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, you know, the, um, the early days with the trust were really, you know, um, internal advocates at PCC saying we need to do more. And the way that happened was there are a few um, staff at PCC. Joe Hardiman is one, Randy Lee, who's the founding board member of the Farmland Trust and was also the CFO at PCC for something like 40 years, 43 years maybe, um, wow. really put together this idea and another amazing woman named Jody Eliason. And um, they came together after uh, a grower named Nash Huber, who's out on the peninsula. Some of you may know from the markets um came to them and said you know i i can't the land that i'm leasing is going to be sold it's been subdivided and is there a way that you can help me because if i go out of business that doesn't that impact you when you know i have no product to sell and so they formed at the time it was called the farmland fund and really it was imagined to be you know i even a land trust i think was maybe a stretch at that time an organization that served farmers and farmland and uh, the entity PCC provided a loan to the newly formed nonprofit to buy 97 acres on the Dungeness uh, Peninsula, and um, and so the Farmland Fund acquired that property, leased it back to Nash Huber, sold some of the property to the Department of Fish and Wildlife for habitat purposes, and that sort of like multi-layered acquisition with support through philanthropy or lending has um, been a very um, even though it was in our formation stage and I think people were kind of figuring out like what's the best strategy to protect farmland. It's been kind of a tried entry method for us where we, um, you know, seize opportunity and respond to threat and sort of stack different layers of, of capital on these deals to really just match the timeline that people have in terms of like needing to sell or, um, or needing to secure land. We, you know, we work in the, a real estate environment a lot of times and so nonprofits are not necessarily known for their speed <laughs> and <laughs> and that's one thing uh pcc has enabled us to do which is having this stable foundation that they helped us build is that um we've been able to respond quite quickly when there's an urgent need and we've been able to pull on different sources of capital and um we've had we've had an incredible source of community members who are behind us all the way but yeah, that's our founding story. PCC really at the helm, creating this nonprofit, staffing it. Um, and then over time, we've sort of peeled away. When I started 12 years ago, there were four people on staff at that time. Two were part-time and one was full-time and I was hired full-time. And, uh, and you know, we're 11 people later and 11 people and 20 years later and um, definitely some wonder pe wonderful people who have worked at the organization who are no longer here. But um, 
you know, that sort of responsiveness to community need is still part of our DNA as an organization. Mm. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's incredible. How many, I'm curious, how many, do you track how many acres, um, you've protected or, or, um, acquired? We do. Yeah. We're over 2,600 now and we're at 24 farms. And uh, we just can. And you call them you call them forever farms, is that we right? We do, yeah. So once a once a farm is conserved, so we we do our work in a couple of ways. We either buy land and lease it back to a farmer with the ultimate goal of selling to them when they're ready if they want to, or we conserve it permanently. So that's when we buy the development rights off a piece of property, that strips away the potential for development. So it'll always remain agricultural land, but the farmer who owns that property will can farm it as long as they wish, can sell it, but the restriction on the property remains intact. And we also pay them for that restriction. And, and that's so important because if you allow developers to come in that land, it's never going to go back. That's right. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it will always be farmland. There's, there's been some discussion in the land trust community about whether we can require land to be farmed. And so it's like not just protected, but it will always be farmed. And that's a little bit harder when you require sort of proactive um, measures to require something versus to limit something. And that kind yeah. of mm-hmm. well, especially when it sounds like the Dungeness, the first one, you had some land that was sold off to Department of uh, we said wild uh, fishing yeah. game or wild. Uh, and so I think that's interesting because you obviously there's wetlands and there's there could be other things other than farming that could. Um, help farming, right? I mean, as far as just like natural habitat, close, closer into farms. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's all part of a, you know, a multi-benefit strategy where there is definitely prime farmland. There's definitely land adjacent or on that land that shouldn't be farmed. And we want to see that land stewarded. So that's kind of the back end of our land conservation work is stewardship, where we work with the farmers to maintain the habitat areas, to ensure that they're upholding the terms of the easement that we've agreed to. Um, and then we also have uh, a grant program that we launched, um, I think in 2016, called Advancing Farm Sustainability. So instead of, um, you know, in our early days as an organization, we would only work with organic producers and we would only conserve ground if it was organic or going to be certified organic. And what we found through that work is it really limited our conservation strategy. And many growers utilize that organic certification um, for a business strategy and that business strategy isn't a conservation strategy and you know and looking at the numbers if we were to only to protect organic farmland it would be less than two percent of land in Washington and so mm-hmm. instead of saying we're we're only going to do this and really limit our scope and our impact we said to ourselves and our board um, well what if we incentivize those practices what if instead of saying you must we said we will conserve this land and then let's work together on incentivizing practices that make sense for your business. And so the Advancing Farm Sustainability Grant Program was born where we award individual farmers who are farming conserved property um, up to $2,000 a year to implement sustainable practices. And um, that's a program that we'd love to grow. We'd love to think about it in terms of like climate resilient practices and are uh, really, really proud of it, um, you know, and really working with the producer on what makes sense to them versus what makes sense to us. Um, Mm. A much more collaborative approach. Yeah, yeah, you know, it doesn't, it already is hard sort of being the the watchdog of the easement and, you know, those 
when I first started with the organization, my title was stewardship associate and my job was, um, <laughs> my job was kind of defending those easements. And, uh, you know, I had a farmer at one point say to me, like, you're the nicest person in the world. How are you, you know, let's, let's be real here. And I was like, it's the law. You have to follow it. But, you know, personalities aside, that that's a hard relationship when you have this legal document that kind of governs your relationship. And you have to build trust and credibility sort of around that legal agreement. Um, but then to also sort of dictate practices, it was just you know, it just feels better to say, like, let's work together on what makes sense for you and let's figure out how we can support you in doing that. Um, ultimately, our values and our founding has a lot to do with sustainable farm practices. And at the same time, there's a lot of ways to get there. And so we didn't mm -hmm. want to limit our opportunities for conservation. And we also didn't want to limit opportunities to actually even move the needle a little bit further on farm practices. If we can work and community and relationship with the producers that we work with to have those conversations versus saying, you know, that's not a conversation we want to have because they're not organic, you know, that just, mm -hmm. um, that, uh, really limited our abilities. So yeah, we, we made that evolution in about 2015 and launched that grant program, um, uh, uh sustainable, um, to advance sustainable farm practices. And it's, you know, one of those things that we continue to do and think about how to grow and, you know, would we ever do it outside of with producers outside of our portfolio of those 24 farms and that 2600 acres um, is a big question as we sort of expand the geography and where we work. Tell us about the farm to farmer um, land matching program. That sounded so interesting. Yeah. Um, so as an, as a conservation organization, we were often, you know, how do people hear about land? How do people find land when they want to farm? Where do they go? Um, we were in that same position where, you know, we work across multiple geographies. How did we find out about land opportunities? A lot of it is word of mouth. And, you know, if we are working with farmers who don't have that familial relationship, either in community or have the farm being passed down to them, um, uh, we, you know, that presents challenges just in finding what land's available. Some land doesn't even make it to the market. It's sold between right. Right. neighbors. And so we were organizationally trying to figure out a way to, um, best serve those farmers who are looking for land. And then we would often hear from, um, people who own land who said, you know, my mom owns, you know, the old farm, 40 acres, it's just in grass right now. Is there any way you can help us find someone who could farm that? We'd love to see it farmed. It used to be farmed, you know, years ago. And, um, you know, we just, we weren't set up as an organization to do that. And we, you know, we didn't have the people power to do it. We didn't have the tools. And, um, and at the same time, we really found that, you know, organizationally and through our last strategic plan, we were thinking about, you know, we have this sort of land serving part of our organization. We don't have the farmer serving part. And yet those two things need to coexist. And those two- <laughs> The land doesn't farm that's itself. That's right. It's like, <laughs> we talk a lot about land and this, we'll get to the um, Love the Land concert, but land is the backbone of our food system. And without land, we have no food. And then we need the people to grow it. And so in order for us to be successful, we needed kind of both of those things. And so, um, so we started to ask ourselves, we did a year long um, study 
and um, survey to ask people like, what is the right role for the farmland trust in trying to figure out the land matching strategy? You know, should, or like land access, should we own a piece of land and rent it out to multiple people? Should we um, open up the land that we already do own and figure out how to lease to multiple entities and then sort of match make through our own land portfolio? And what it came back with was there are already people doing really important sort of land incubation work. And that's where we get to our uh, partnership with Viva Farms. Um, we just need you to do more land protection. And there's this critical period of helping people um, to find land. That's still a resource in this state that hasn't been um, solved. It's still a problem that hasn't been solved. And so um, we've always been very careful to look before we leap as an organization and strongly believe in uh, trial while doing. Uh, we launched a pilot down in Pierce County, which was the focus of our conservation work at that time and said, let's hire a coordinator who is a farmer who's been through this land search herself in this case, and let's have her sort of mentor people through this land search program. And it's not just like how to find the land, but how to evaluate the land, how to negotiate a lease, how to, you know, water rights are super complicated in Washington. Where do you even begin? Um, how do you yeah. evaluate whether a land has enough water? And so um, we formed Farm to Farmer in 2018 based on all this feedback and these issues we were observing in our own work and said, we're just going to pilot it. But, it, you know, and when we said pilot it, it sounded scary, right? Because we were hiring staff. I'm sorry, I do not know how to turn that off. Um, I don't know if you can hear that. Um, <laughs> That's all right. Uh, it, when we talked about pilot, it um, really was like, let's discover the fatal flaws of this idea before we go further. It wasn't like, we're gonna try it, and then if it doesn't work, then we're gonna, you know, throw it out the door. Because what we've learned about our work in part is doing work in rural communities and with partners, it's not a one year and done kind of thing. It's not two years, you know, we're mm -hmm. 20 years in as an organization and we're still building relationships. And so we were pretty committed to it. We just didn't know what it looked like, so we called it a pilot. And soon after we launched the Pierce County pilot, we heard from King County and said, can you bring that program to King County and we'll help you figure out how to get funded. And then we started to hear from more geographies who said, you know, we love what you're doing. The website is great. Can we, can you do that here in this geography in Spokane or on the peninsula? And, you know, we just, as an organization, we can't, we couldn't scale quickly enough. Um, so we started, um, again, trialing an approach where um, we would partner with an organization who wanted to do this land matching work and they would hire and host the sort of the staff for their geography. So their staff know that community the best. They know the land resources the best. They know the farmers, the landowners, but then they could use our back end. They can use the website that we, we created, farmtofarmer.org. There's a lot of protocols that we have in place. And so we can kind of export that and so that's what we trialed with Viva Farms in 2019. And so they have a site up um, in Skagit County where they're serving um, as the farm to farmer coordinators up there. And then we all work together. And the future of what this looks like is a network model where we do the Viva pilot across the state where we're, mm. we're providing the sort of backbone as the organization that houses this work at the website, the best practices, and, um, but other people have, um, other entities have a person who is ideally a farmer who has those relationships, who can serve the community as the community needs. And so that, what, what, 
what are some practical things that Viva Farm is doing in that farm to farmer model? Like what are some, some like specific, um, activities that are, that are happening from this? Yeah. So they, you know, as you know, Viva has a really wonderful incubator. So they take people and sort of, uh, and many times they have been farm workers, but also new farmers and run them through the incubator program to train them on farming and sustainable farming practices. When those folks have been adequately trained, they kind of need a next phase. And um, that next phase is what you might call an ag park, which I was referring to is where you mm. have land available for people to have various farm business enterprises on and they share things like water, electricity and things like that. And then the- And that would be kind of like the Viva Farms area where they have the well and the yep. plots of land. Yep, that's yeah. right. But what happens when those individuals want to move out on their own? They need help mm. finding land. And so uh, Viva, particularly in Skagit County, has been working with some of their folks who have been in their program to go beyond the incubator and find land for their business. So as they grow beyond the incubator, they've also been working with various landowners in the community um, to say, you know, do you want to lease this land? You know, we have some farmers who are interested in leasing because we have a database now and we have people all over Western Washington who are looking for land in Skagit County or in King County. And, you know, our, our most recent match, it was someone from King County who ended up leasing land up in Skagit County. So we were able to sort of partner within the program to get people the land that they were looking for in a different geography, but through the framework of Farm to Farmer. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you marital banter. <laughs> just, just going straight into marital banter. I think we should. You went to the gym this morning for the first time since March or maybe. You make it sound like I haven't worked out since March. I've been working out. No, I strictly said you haven't been to the gym oh, since okay. March. I was not listening to your words. I was assuming tell you us, meant working out. Tell us what that was like because most of us haven't been. We're too scared. Yeah, I went for it. Masked up. Uh, the gym I go to across the street from our flagship cafe in Seattle is doing it right. Experience momentum. They're doing it safely. There's only five people allowed in their gym. They have three bay doors. It's kind of like an old service station. All the doors are open, you know, so the air is flowing mm -hmm. in and out. You have all of your own equipment in like 400 square feet and lots of hand sanitizer and spray bottles. So you have your zone. So you're not walking anywhere. I mean, you are breathing, but there's heavily fresh air. Breathing heavily breathing. At times. Um, yeah, the weights got heavier. I think they gained weight. What do you mean? Of course they did. What do you mean you masked up? Did you really wear a mask? No. Well, you wear a mask in, you get to your spot and then you can take your mask off like in your zone. Um, I didn't really, you can wear a mask when you work out, but you're not required to. And I just, I was right by the door outside. So I basically took my mask off. I felt comfortable enough. Yeah. It yeah. felt good. You were glad you were there. You weren't. I was glad I was there. Although jumping back in from just kind of like a casual run once a week or doing some push ups or some burpees, you know, going straight into a 12 minute AMRAP, which is as many rounds as possible for those who are not in the hit training circuit CrossFit world. Um, it was, gosh, what was it? It was like eight burpees, burpee jump bo box jumps. So eight burpees jump onto a box. It's like mm. two feet high, followed by 16 wall balls unbroken. Oh, I like wall balls. I do, but not that many that mm. fast. I do. The gym. You're good at them though. T 12 minutes isn't too bad. I was picturing you. It doing, was soul crushing. <laughs> I was picturing you doing overhead squats, which I know you hate. I do not like overhead I squats. We did, we, did, we did deadlifts this morning. It felt good to deadlift. 
That's good. Anyway, enough about me working out. It was a bit weird. Uh, people like cheered that I was there. It was kind of weird. There was only five of us. People cheered. <laughs> they were like, you're back. And I was like, yeah, woo. That's really funny. Uh, but mostly because Jeff is awesome, uh, the coach. But anyway. Yeah, he is. We anyway. have so much going on at Mir, Mir.com. Uh, we have some amazing colors. If What is your personal favorite? You uh, have the Thousand Hills here, which is beautiful. Don't even make me choose. So six um, new colors. Yeah, we just collect them all. Get them July. all. Why choose one? Yeah, I I really don't have a, a clear favorite. They're mm. all so great. They are all so great. I like Home. I like Thousand Hills. Spark is growing on me for sure. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know what? For you all listening to our marriage banter, banter, we have a gift for you. I believe the discount code is SEPPOD20. Nope, it's not. What is it? <laughs> it's POD20. SEP 20. P-O-D-S-E-P 20. Gosh, I botched it. It's all right. You can it's figure out the wide. code. Yeah, it's site wide. 20% off. Yeah, Dana Tanamachi, who is our current artist in residence. Her artwork is beautiful. Check out her product on our website as well. Yeah, her collection is still available. But yeah, when it comes to color, I mean, there are muted tones. There are bright poppy tones. There is truly something for everyone. So And the holidays are coming. The holidays are not canceled. They will be different this year, uh, and you can still send gifts. So, again, the code is POD, P-O-D, SEP, S-E-P, short for September, 20, mm-hmm. two zero. Mm-hmm. POD, SEP, 20. Yep. Yep. Take advantage. That's kind of a funny code. It's our gift to you. And if you <laughs> like our banter, let us know. Get in touch and let us know because we can bring so much more of oh this. Oh, my goodness. All right. Back to a much better conversation with Melissa. Yes. Oh, that's great. I feel like sometimes one of the most frustrating things is that it's just a matter of making the connections, yeah. you know, all the pieces are kind of out there and, and, you know, somebody wants to help, but they don't know the person that has the land or the farmer or the person that there's no red, there's no red totally. farmland. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, yeah there's no yeah. connectivity in that. It sounds, it sounds as though you all are doing a great job of, of providing that connective tissue to allow for, you know, the advancement of, of farmers and, um, and also the farms. I mean, land is obviously very crucial to, to growing things. We haven't figured out air farming yet. It's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we love Viva Farms. Um, as you know, we've been able to grant some dollars toward um, their yeah. work and specifically some of their irrigation um, needs in terms of equipment and like installation. And I'm so excited that you two are officially partnered to present a virtual benefit concert at the end of this month. So tell us all about that. It's called Love the Land. Okay. Yeah, we, you know, in thinking, we were all pivoting. We've been longtime partners with Viva. And so we have a really wonderful and intact relationship with them. We actually partnered on um, purchasing a piece of property in 2017, where we helped fundraise for the down payment of a property that they were acquiring. And it was sort of like, okay, what's next? What, what do we do next? And as we were all facing this challenge of having, you know, lost our primary fundraisers, which are, you know, for us was a 250 person in, uh, you know, in Seattle meal together. Um, So we can't, we couldn't do that anymore and thought like, you know, our guiding framework is we may not know what the future holds, but we know that we need to go together. We need, we're going to need our community and ask for help as you were saying, Brian, and we need to bring others along with us and we need to go together. And that's what, what our vision is for the future past COVID, but also as the Washington Farmland Trust is um, we need to work with our communities. And so 
reached out to Viva to say, hey, um, here's a crazy idea. How about we partner and fundraise together and do this online concert? We can't tell you who's going to be the musician. We can't tell you that we're going to raise all the money that we both need to fill these really critical um, gaps in our budgets. But let's go together because we know that we need each other to be successful. And um, this is this this is what we believe in, right? We believe in partnership and collaboration and going together. And so, yeah, we launched uh, Love the Land and it's on September 30th at seven o'clock and it will be featuring Dave Matthews, which is uh, super exciting. Small, small local artist. Yeah, you, you yeah. may have heard of them. <laughs> you may have, yeah, may have heard yeah. of them, exactly. And, and other really wonderful local musicians too. What we really wanted was, um, and hoped for, I should say, were musicians who were from this region who care about food and farming. And you know, there's no better example than Dave Matthews, of course, um, and his work through Farm Aid. Um, and other musicians here, um, who love this place. And so we're also working with Tomo Nakayama, Naomi Wakira, and Luz um, from Ilabamba. And so these are people who really care about this region. And um, so we, yeah, we have a really wonderful lineup. We're really proud of our partnership. We, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a risk, you know, we're taking the proceeds and splitting it. Um, and, uh, in times of uncertainty, I, I, you know, initially I've lost some sleep around like, is that the best strategy? Is it really smart to take our fundraiser and basically divide it in half and, uh, you know, take that risk? And it's like, you know, day after day, time after time, I'll stand behind partnership and what we're trying to accomplish and achieve. And, you know, and even if we don't hit our goal, I'm, I'm really proud of the work that has gone into this. And the support we're getting for this vision, right? And, um, you know, I just have to believe that's the way we need to go, even if we're not initially successful. Um, you know, and what this means for the future, would we do this again? We're, we, we have to stop ourselves and say, like, let's just get through this event. But like, what yeah. does this mean for the future? There's a lot of energy around a, com in, uh, a really wonderful conversation around community-centric fundraising, where we do lift other organizations up and, do ask what other people need and we do work together and we, um, you know, bring our donors to other organizations. And I'm just, I'm so inspired by that model and really um, looking forward to just, you know, figuring out how that framework really shapes how, who we are as an organization. And, um, and I'm excited about the event with Viva and sort of um, going together. Yeah. yeah. So where do, where do people go to, to buy tickets to support this virtual concert? Yeah, what's, what's, the, what's the scoop for the people to figure out how to listen to Dave and Craig? Yes, uh, important information. So uh, wafarmlandtrust.org, you can buy tickets, $10 um, a piece. That's it? It's just 10 yeah. bucks. Gosh. We'll be there. We'll awesome. be there. Thank yeah. you. I should, I yes. should also mention in um, mentioning fundraising, this is the culminating event of a two week fundraising period. So from September 14th oh, awesome. um, through the September 29th, we'll be doing a two week intensive fundraising period with Viva and activating our communities. I don't know if you've been to or participated in like um, where someone might sponsor you to run a marathon or to, to mm, do a bike race. Yeah. It's very similar where it's help me support this organization. And so we have, uh, people we're calling virtual harvesters. They'll create a page and then invite their communities to participate. 
all of it culminating with this online concert. Um, and you can learn more uh, at wafarmlandtrust.org. And also, and people can pay more than 10 bucks if they want to. Oh, right? yeah. That, yep. Yeah. You can pay <laughs> thousands to see yeah, Gabe. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All, all dollars, uh, gifts of any size. Don't stop at 10, folks. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, Mir is really excited to support the event also just in a small way. Um, tell us where the, where the musicians will be tuning in from. Will they all be in different locations? How, how will that work? They will be. So it will be a pre-recorded event, um, that will, okay. will knit together. We have, uh, so Na- Naomi Watira is actually in, in Kenya and, okay. um, Dave is in Virginia and, um, Tomo is in Seattle. So we'll, they are performing in their own studios or in their own performance space. And then we'll, we'll send those recordings and knit together the evening. We'll also have some remarks from Michael, uh, Viva and myself and, um, some, um, uh, comments from, uh, my gosh, just had a total, (laughs) all the people, farmers, farmers. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> the farmers, farmers will be speaking. That's yeah, good. Last but not least. Yes. Yeah, and farmers. So we'll, you know, we'll try to paint a picture, you know, with our name change and on this event quickly on the heels of that. We'll we'll do some like here's who we are and what we're up to and why and the why behind the partnership I think is important. Mm-hmm. It can be a little confusing with, you know, the name and then our new name and then Viva. And in yeah, some ways yeah. I'm okay with that confusion because that's the nature of our <laughs> you know, our current reality and also like what it takes yeah. to do things like this. So yeah. yeah, your work is so intertwined. Well, from where I sit, you all have really thought this through well. I mean, people are craving gatherings <clears throat> like a concert, you know, would normally provide and in absence of being able to do that in person. I mean, we, we have to we have to adapt to the virtual ways. So and then obviously you've been really thoughtful about your musician selection and um and yeah and then being able to hear from from the organizations but the farmers as well i mean we need more connection to our farmers yeah yeah i think even before covid we found that um some of our most successful being what the feedback that we received from um, our community was whenever people can hear from farmers about how they're doing, what it's like, what's going on, what are their challenges, is always the most meaningful interaction people have with our organization. So we've been committed to trying to get, you know, even our staff, not all of our staff makes it out to farms. And that was a big part of my role prior to becoming executive director. And I find myself craving that interaction. And of course, none of us can have that now. And so <clears throat> trying to provide these windows into like, how how is life as a farmer with covid and how have you adapted and and there's still reason to be optimistic and we can still have a vision for the future that includes local farms and um so yeah to your point i i just think that however we can get windows into those farm businesses and farmers um you know all to the all but all better we can i could talk for hours and nobody would want you know people want to hear from the farmers and yeah. maybe maybe yeah. Dave Matthews. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he, he could he could speak a few words. Yeah, too yeah. And he would listen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's oh, uh, that's that's really great. I think what's what's inspiring and, and certainly uh, interesting about your all's work is that you all are thinking about your nonprofit like a like a startup or an incubator or something that you know you don't we don't typically see that mm. um, that often in the nonprofit space. I'd say at large. I think Charlie, who's our head of impact. 
has done a great job of identifying organizations that just think and move, not that it's about moving quickly, but about just challenging the status quo or thinking differently about things. And I, I love that you were just, you know, we're going to pilot this thing and, and hopefully it works. We got to make a commitment and hire some people. Uh, and it's funny because internally, sometimes we get caught up by just having to have everything perfectly yeah. dialed, right? Like we need a strategic plan. We need all these things lined up before you make a decision. And oftentimes that's what holds you back from actually mm -hmm. taking the next best step. And I love the pilot thing because internally we're like, just put draft on it and then people will forgive you if it's not perfect, right? That's so, right. <laughs> I love that you have- Oh, we like, can you know, do that? Oh, yeah. Okay, I missed that. Yeah, that's great. One. Yeah, if, you, if it's not done, just put draft. Just um, you just gotta set expectations, right? So yeah. I love that you're piloting um, projects to figure out if, if this is a good model and then sure enough it is and you're expanding it. So I think hats off to you all for, for kind of thinking differently and being able to move fairly quickly for a 20 year old nonprofit. That's, it's certainly impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think a lot of that sort of ethos of practice while doing was really built by my predecessor, Rebecca, and, you know, being, having a bold vision and saying, we're going to go for it and we're going to look before we leave, but we're not going to know until we try. And I, you know, she's been my mentor. We worked for eight years together and I just, I learned a lot from her about how to kind of step through those periods of uncertainty, but also commitment to whatever it is. Um, and I just, you know, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's part of the way this organization has been built. And so I'm, I'm happy to receive that and, and, you know, keep moving that forward. We have a lot of what we call on our staff, a students. So they're like, it needs to be perfect before, it, it goes yeah. anywhere <laughs> and uh organizationally we've been really trying to embrace the like let's not let perfect be the enemy of good and especially mm -hmm. in these times where um you know we can be we can own the fact that we may not nail something 100 percent, and yet we are still trying and that shows up in our work around equity and land access and it's like we don't have it all figured out we don't know what that looks like but we're going to keep trying we're going to keep moving forward and we're going to own the mistakes that we make and we're going to learn from them and we're going to keep moving on. So, yeah, that that's been kind of our our leading drive in, in these times of uncertainty, particularly. You must have organizations nationally reaching out to you for I don't I don't know what that <laughs> want to replicate some piece of your business model that like see the success and want to know how they can apply it, you know, to their own practices is that is that happening yeah it is you know it kind of goes both ways where we have been so inspired by people like maine farmland trust and the way they've had multiple lines of business and their land conservation work their land matching work their farmer training work um so we've done a lot of outreach uh, there's a wonderful program in the hudson valley called the hudson valley farm finder and that's a network that inspired our farm to farmer network model um, but we do have a lot of people very curious about our founding and partnerships with co-ops, you know, and our partnership with PCC extends beyond the partnership where, you know, together we partnered with Powers Winery and created a branded wine. There's a 20th anniversary version by now, right now that's very delicious. We'll have to check that out. Fun fact, sorry to no interrupt. Worries. Is that, isn't that Washington State's first organic winery? I believe so. Biodynamic winery? Yeah. That's that, that's that wine I picked up the other day. I was going to say that sounds really familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Great yeah. wine powers. Yeah. Yes. And, and great people. Carry no, on. no. So, you know, <laughs> our relationship kind of ex with PCC extends into the grocery aisle in certain ways and Powers Wine, Tony's Coffee um, are just kind of a couple of things, uh, you know, to name a few. But people are also really interested about that model, about working with vendors who sell through the co-op to um, 
to elevate the organizations that they support. And so, yeah, we hear from a lot of people who want to know about that model where a co-op founded a land trust, people interested in land conservation. You know, agricultural land conservation is, a, is complex because you are permanently restricting a place that is also someone's place of business is typically their place, their home where they live and they, you know, they want to build a house for their kids someday. And so versus, you know, habitat area that serves salmon and, you know, might have passive recreation. I don't mean to minimize other types of conversation or conservation, just to say that farmland conservation is very dynamic and very complex and stretches across geographies. And many times this land is hitched to someone's retirement. And we don't often see mm. that in other sort of conservation spaces. And so it's kind of forced us to have to be flexible and think ahead a little bit um, as an organization. I don't even actually know where I was going with that point, but um, <laughs> but the- That's like me most of the time. <laughs> what day is it? I don't even know. Um, oh, but to your point around, are we talking with people? We often talk with people about, okay, what is it? you know, land trusts can serve land, not many of them own and buy farmland. And, you know, you have a lease relationship with a tenant. It's just sort of a different deal. And so we often talk about different ways um, and approaches to land ownership and different land tenure models um, and things like our, our grant program, we often are talking to people about. We've raised impact investment to um, conserve a property. We talk a lot about our financial structures and deals and um, things like that. So yeah, we, mm -hmm. we do share a lot. And, um, and that that's, you know, the like helping others is a big part of the ethos of our organization. We also rely on other people to help shape and inform our work. And um, so it kind of, you know, it goes both ways. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I know you just rebranded You're the Washington Farmland that's Trust. Right. But do you think in the next, say, 20 years, you all could branch outside of the state of Washington? <laughs> with your work <laughs> or are you committed wholly to, to Washington state? Yeah, you know, had you asked us that question three or four years ago, I think we could have said there's that potential. Um, a new a new farmland conservation organization has um, debuted and we're really excited about it, the Oregon Agricultural Trust and they're based, um, they're actually embedded with Columbia Land Trust right now. And so we um, we really want them to be successful. So it, before they were in existence, I think we would have said, oh, if you know, if we can make sense of it, and you know, if if that's what was needed, I think we would think about it. But now that they're in business, we want to do everything we can to help make them successful. Um, we know there are agricultural conservation needs in Idaho, and um, you know, I think again, we would want to support whoever's already there to um do more farmland conservation there's great farm there's great organizations there doing conservation work we would want to help them do more conservation and truth is we have our work cut out for us in washington <laughs> yeah there's a lot of work yeah. in the state of washington yeah. with, the growth, with the growth that's happening there's something to be said for focus and yeah going deep and um yeah and then being neighbors to the neighboring states well, I can imagine there's a lot of complications with state laws and county laws and city laws where, you know, going to other states, you have to build almost another set of expertise to understand the nuances of a different state. Whereas you stay in Pierce County, King County, Skagit Valley, um, you know, you kind of have these abilities to 
understand your strengths. Yeah, you know, agriculture doesn't stop at state lines and county lines, um, but what does stop are uh, fund is funding, <laughs> right? So we yeah. utilize various um, sources of public funding. There's federal funding, which goes across boundaries, but we have a state funding program here that's really important. And different different states have different laws around um, land use, and you know, water is a perfect example of that, where water law in Oregon is very different than Washington. And so, you know, to your point, Brian, that would require a different set of skills and capacities. And, um, you know, we're happy to support the people on the ground who are building those right now um, and stay focused on Washington. But um, yeah, there's, there's, an, there's a need for farmland protection in Oregon as they are rapidly urbanizing, particularly in, you know, in Western Oregon along the I-5 corridor, like we here in Washington. So we try to be collaborative and have um, similar goals around regional land protection. And we also are um, governed by the Land Trust Alliance, which is the state or the national umbrella for land. And then we each have our own state chapters that we collaborate with. But then those state chapters, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, come together on training and mm. um, sharing, and they come together every other year. So we do a lot of um, cross training across states to say, okay, land access, how are you guys doing it here in Washington? Here's what we're doing. Here's what we're seeing. So we try to create opportunities for people to come across state lines to learn from each other as well. That's great. The, uh, uh, it seems as though it's, you all are the experts in kind of Washington state farmland conservation is would that be safe to assume or are there other organizations that are trying to do it or you know there's a there are a lot of really great um local land trusts and statewide land trusts in our region um we exclusively focus on farmland and we own farmland and lease it back so that's what makes us a little unique is that our it's is our core focus of farmland mm, um yeah. And we, you know, there's a wonderful organization in the South Sound called South Sound Community Farmland Trust, where they use a community land trust model to further farmland conservation goals, affordable farmland. So there, there are different kind of iterations. Um, you know, the Blue Mountain Land Trust and Walla Walla, part of their portfolio is agriculture, but we're the only ones exclusively dedicated to farmland conservation here in Washington. That's great. I, I, I really appreciate it when um, trusts or nonprofits who are really good at what they do are kind of the only game in town when they're doing it effectively. Mm. Uh, certainly there's people who are ineffective who, are, you know, maybe need to be challenged in their model, but sometimes we run into so many nonprofits doing the same thing in the exact same space. Mm. And there's a redundancy of resources that I, from a, from a market-based perspective, seems to be counterintuitive, counterintuitive to have so many people having the same roles. And there should be, there, in my mind, should be some consolidation within the nonprofit space sometimes where it's just ineffective, but it's serving someone's ego to start their nonprofit. Whereas this seems you all are the experts and you're doing a great job at it. So I really appreciate you all uh, kind of leading the charge. And then to hear that you're collaborating across state lines to, to understand is it's, it's inspiring that mm -hmm. like, oh, everybody can kind of have best practices and learn from each other and also be really, really good at what they do. So mm -hmm. that's, that's incredible. Yeah, we, we've had, you know, historically, we've had a really great board who's been who's wanted us to be laser focused and stay in our lane. And while that it sometimes can feel constricting and a little frustrating, you know, we kind of felt like we were getting outside of our lane a little bit and farm to farmer, but we saw as it, we saw it as core to our mission. Like if, when land goes out of production, when people stop farming, that's the, 
that is when land is most vulnerable. That's when the fire, that's mm-hmm. when the for sale sign goes up. That's when, you know, bulldozers show up. So, you know, we saw that as core to our conservation strategy, although it felt a little outside of our lane, um, you know, and as an organization and in, you know, PCC and their founding that DNA um, has sort of shaped our organization and they were highly collaborative with other co-ops and, you know, really valued sort of partnering with other organizations to kind of move that co-op model forward. And that has definitely shaped our organization where it's like, you know, we're not going to do work. Uh, We have land that we've protected in Walla Walla, but Blue Mountain Land Trust has got it. If they need us, you know, they'll give us a call and say, how did you write that language? Or what's the deal with this lease? And then that's how we can be helpful. And, you know, as we look to the future where we expand our work through our new strategic plan across the state, it'll have have a lot to do with partnerships and how we can use the skills and capacities we've built in farmland protection to to sort of advance those um, those needs across the state. But it's probably not us in the driver's seat. And we feel great about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. And so even with the rebrand, PCC is still supporting the Washington Farmland Trust. Is that That's correct? That's right. Yeah, they, um, yeah. they are uh, aligning their giving with their um, organizational strategies that have a lot to do with securing the organic supply chain, um, supporting um, underrepresented um, underrepresented farmers and supporting organic certification. So this is this is when we come together on those things, that's where we will partner to advance those goals. Uh, and then we'll do our separate things when it work, you know, when our work is outside of, you know, certified organic land or, um, uh, you know, farm practices or something like that. So we've, uh, we're talking with them now about kind of what that looks like in the future, but they, you know, all of the like in-store powers, wineries not going away, just so you know, um, uh, <laughs> that, that sort of foundational relationship of, uh, you know, we call them our founder, our funder and our friend. And that nice. certainly hasn't changed. Um, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a lot of reason to be hopeful for sure. Okay. Are you ready for a series <laughs> of really fun questions that you don't need to think too hard about? My favorite kind. <laughs> all right so um we like to ask these of all of our podcast guests and you can elaborate or not they can be just quick straightforward or you can you know share kind of your thought process okay first question is it easier to go alone or together easier alone what is one belief you hold that will never change one belief that I hold that will never change uh, is that service is the greatest form of leadership. Can I go back to the first mm. one? Boom. <laughs> you can go back to the first one. I wanted to say together. When, when, people, when people say alone, they like, they're like, wait a second, let me yeah, explain yeah. myself. They usually, <laughs> they usually have children. <laughs> like, yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. Yep. Totally yep. get it. <laughs> no, you know, I think the alone is easier and together is harder, mm-hmm. right? We see that in our relationships and our communities. That's not to say that's the right way or the way that I think that we should go, but I, you know, easier is not always better. So I, I think it's easier to mm-hmm. go alone. I think it's better to go together. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for letting I'm with me you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This one's a fill in the blank. It's don't sacrifice blank for blank. 
don't sacrifice values is the first word that came to mind for um, short-term gains. Mm. Well said. That's a good one. We have four company values that we sort of established. I mean, maybe they were unofficial before a couple of years ago, but Mm -hmm. they're kind of, you know, set in stone Mm -hmm. now. And um, over the past, well, for sure in 2020, we've just relied on them heavily. And I I see our staff leaning into our value, our company values more than ever before. And and that's really encouraging to have that in in place, you know, before times of, you know, trial and yeah. Do you find yourself wanting to revisit those values regularly or how do you kind of affirm those? I I don't know if we can get into it now, but I'm so, I'm so curious about how you keep those fresh and alive. We call it, well, we call that, I mean, when you say practices, we learned this from one of our board members that she she refers to the, the values within her organization that she leads as practices. Mm. So we call them values and practices. Mm-hmm. And the reason and then and she she explained this to us beautifully that, you know, values are something that's typically sit on a wall or, you know, like our mission statements behind mm-hmm. us. And you can you can read them, you can see them, but obviously in a lot of organizations you walk in, you know, I think integrity was one of the organizations in um, what was the energy company in oh enron enron right like i think you walked in enron's lobby and like integrity was one of their values right so it's kind of a joke integrity uh, and respect yeah. transparency so it was and uh, transparency and transparency yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh so for them to be actual values they have to be practiced right. and a way to practice them is you have to reinforce them so it's language matters mm-hmm. right so we constantly talk about like one of our uh, core values and practices is find a way you know so you'll hear the language of people saying oh hey i appreciate you finding a way to get my customer what they needed yeah or, we call it out really yeah so often. it's called out um you know, we, we had a really robust uh, recognition system um, last year with COVID. You know, it's something that's kind of been on the back burner that we need to like bring up again, but oftentimes um, how we reinforce them too of, oh, hey, the person that uh, most exhibited enjoying the ride last quarter was so-and-so for blah, blah, blah. So we reinforce them constantly as part of the language. Um, so it's kind of built in the framework. And then on our performance review, uh, we actually go over those, those core values okay. of how are you performing within those, that framework. Mm-hmm. And then we also, when we hire, we don't think about cultural fit of someone, someone fitting into our organization mm-hmm. because that's assuming that they're like right. us and we don't want to hire people that are just like us. We want to hire people that are different than us. We believe that diversity of idea and experiences actually leads to more innovation, more ingenuity. There's a whole host of benefits, um, other than the, than it being the right thing to do. Um, so we look for, for value alignment or practice mm-hmm. alignment. So we, we want to look for people that exhibit these qualities. And so that's a filter for us. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, people want to talk about, you know, good filters, bad filters, filtering people are not, you know, we want to hire people that believe in, in being open. Mm-hmm. That's one of our core values. We want to, we want to hire people that are, you know, willing to find a way that grit that added. And that one's probably, you know, maybe one of my favorite values that I find here. a way, find a way yeah. um, or start with yes. And it's those two came about from listening to the language mm-hmm. of, of overcomers of people who have, have chosen to overcome their situation or people who have come back from, you know, despair or loss, you know, you, in, you know, these are sports analogies, but like you listen to the language of Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll, you know, in Seattle. And if you pull up any interview with them after a post game, even if they lost or won, or especially, you know, I think Russell Wilson has like the most fourth quarter comeback wins or something, you know, something where it's like 
classic Seahawks always <laughs> behind until the very end, you know, procrastination. Squeak it out. Yeah. Um, you know, but some of the greatest sports stories, you know, they're like, ah, oh, you know, you know, the interview, you know, the interviews at the end of sports games are just hilarious because they're the most basic like softball questions or like, tell us about your win or how did you, you know, whatever. What were you thinking, were you thinking? when you? Yeah. Or how does it feel to be the champion? You know, and so a lot of times the language of people who overcome are, well, you know, I found a way, you know, we got together and we found a way mm -hmm found a way like that, 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 I mean, it's, and once you hear it, it's like, once you buy a new car or a car, you see that car everywhere <laughs> and you start to notice that language of other people, of coaches, of people. So that anyways, that's, that's how we bring those, those values and practices to life. Yeah. Uh, but it's not easy. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Two more <laughs> questions. Right. Sorry. Thank you. Great question. Thank you. Great question. Yeah. <laughs> Name one activity you turn to when you need a reset. Um, uh, getting up really early before the kids uh, get up and just Ooh. quiet time, whatever it is I'm doing, just getting up before everyone else and getting some so hard. To I do. know, I know. And especially with early risers, <laughs> it's like, all right, he's up at six today. That means I have to get up at five. Okay, I'm in it. Um, oh. But yeah, it's wow. It's not something that I did very easily in the early part of parenting, but COVID has really forced my hand on this one. And I just, I feel like I'm a better parent for it. I just get a better yeah. start to the day. And, um, yeah, and I've started to enjoy getting up too. <laughs> yeah. Those are really peaceful hours. Do, does that mean you go to bed earlier? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. We've created the, dyna the dynamic in our family, which I am fully on board with. Uh, but my, both my husband and I lay down with the big kids at night and we read and then we, you know, we switch every night. So it's one big kid and the next night it's the other one. Um, and so I often fall asleep when they do, which yeah. <laughs> is anywhere these days between eight and, you know, 1130. Or... Totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when you're the other spouse who like didn't fall asleep, you, you, you're eventually you're looking around you're like, yeah, they're totally, yeah, they totally bit the asleep. best in there. <laughs> Just saw a log yeah. Yeah, like... on the corner of the bed. <laughs> oh. All right. Last yeah. question. What is one piece of knowledge you want to impart on the next generation? Uh, you know, I think something that I've benefited from and I really, in my role at the trust and being in a human in this world is um, relationships matter and that relationships are everything, right? And, uh, and relationships really never go away is that you all, that experience of that relationship is always going to be with you. And, um, you know, that was core to how I was raised and what my early experiences were. That's been core to how I've moved through my career. And, um, you know, relationships really matter at the end of the day. And that's, <clears throat> and that's really uh, sort of the, for, for me anyway, in my sort of view on the world is that it's, we have to be in relationship with the earth. We have to be in relationship with each other and, um, and finding those relationships of people you want to go together with is kind of how we move forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so well put. That is well put. And we're so happy to be in relationship uh, with you. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> can I just say that uh, my husband's most favorite gift ever, as it like the dad tie or whatever, is the rad dad cup. He yes. recently said that's his it. most prized <laughs> possession. I was like, I have, to, I have to say that. But yeah, we. Whoa. You know, you guys are just you're you and the company you've built and the people you've hired have been 
sort of the, you know, the, um, the partners who work by relationship, right? You come to um, the organizations that you want to be in relationship with and ask, how can we help? And you want to build that relationship. You don't want to sort of, you know, keep a distance and watch from afar. You kind of want to be in it. And, and that's rare. And um, it, unfortunately, but it's something that yeah. we just so appreciate about you. And because we have that relationship, we can come to you and say, hey, we have this crazy idea about this concert. What do you think? Are you in? And, you know, that you don't even miss yeah. a beat, really. Yeah. And I don't know why more companies don't do it that way, because relationship is fun mm. and it's rewarding. And then and then you are in it together and you're not alone. And so. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the best, I guess, business decisions we ever made was just to say, Hey, this is going to be about relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows, you know, and your, your team demonstrates that and, you know, your podcast demonstrates that and our conversation has. So I just, (laughs) um, I just, I really admire that, you know, building a company with that in mind. And then also thinking about the way we make change. Um, is that sort of collaborative partnership and building relationships across sectors. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you. It takes, it takes us all. That's for sure. Thank you so much. Thank you both. We, we hope you get out of West Seattle someday. <laughs> Just <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We will hope for a bridge sooner yes. than later. Yeah. Holler if you need like a boat or gonna, something. Yeah. We'll send We're over. setting up our tin can and string right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. We just love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Well, Melissa, thank you for taking time out of your day to, to talk with us. We'd love learning more about uh, the Farmland Trust, the Washington Farmland Trust. Uh, and we'll be at the concert for we'll sure. We'll be at the concert. Everybody wants more. People can find you all at which website? Wafarmlandtrust.org. Perfect. And please let Dave Matthews know that he needs to play Watchtower. Yes. Oh, right? fun. <laughs> yes. Watchtower. That'd be great. Um, fun Dave Matthews story. When we first opened our cafe in Seattle in uh-huh. Fremont. Five uh, years ago. Five years ago. Dave uh, was a patron. He came in and he sat in our cafe. Uh, we were brand new. I think he was just in the neighborhood poking by. And he ordered straight up espresso. And he said something funny. Yeah, what did he we, say? We, um, <laughs> uh, I believe Jesse served him espresso at the bar. It was, it was at the, I remember specifically where he was. And um uh, I have two funny Dave Matthews stories, but that this is the this, this is the first one. <laughs> and our staff was like, our staff was like freaking sneaking, out, you know, and they're sneaking photos and everything. And then they handed they handed Dave Matthews this espresso, and he drinks it, you know. And they're kind of like on pins and needles, like, what does Dave think? <laughs> and he was just like, so so Dave. He was like, it was mind blowingly good, you know, like <laughs> yeah. something just epic, you know, and and just like walked out, you know, just mic dropped and yeah. walked out, you yeah. know. Oh, I love that. Uh, and then the second story, this is total side tangent, but it'll be a nice little treat maybe for the people who are mm, listening yes. to the podcast. Um, so there, fun fact, in Seattle, down the street, there was a, a gym called Sound Mind Body. Uh, and now it is a Google office, I believe. <laughs> they yeah. turned the well, gym. now I'm sure it's empty now. But. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's empty now. Yeah. But um, they turned this whole massive gym, they had a basketball court, they turned it into an office space. Um, anyway, when it was a gym, I would play uh, basketball there at lunch uh, for a pickup game and, and um, Dave Matthews attended this gym. And so you'd see him on the regular, just kind of like, you know, and, and everybody was very respectful there. They didn't bother him, whatever. But also Dave would play in, in the, uh, in the, in the, throughout the, not him, just like his the, music, radio. the radio. They had radio on oh. just throughout the gym. And I, and I always thought like, it'd be kind of funny to like see Dave Matthews. Like, what would you do if Dave Matthews was in there while his music was playing? <laughs> Well, I was in the locker room with Dave Matthews. Um, we were changing or whatever. And what I can't remember, it was like Crush or something came on. 
And I was like, this is so weird. Like Dave Matthews is playing on the speakers. He's in here. And I I'm bet like, it was ants marching. Just. It, was, it was, yeah, it was something. And I wanted, and so I mean, people are like, and what did you do? It's not exciting. I did nothing. I didn't want to be that guy that's like, hey, Dave, nice song, buddy. You know, or like, you want to sing along? Yeah, I just, I actually opted. I was like, you know what? Out of respect for his greatness, I'm just going to like embrace this moment in my head and memorialize it. You like it. grab your air guitar yeah. and like make <laughs> eye contact with him. That'd be so funny. Anyway, so those are my two uh, Dave Matthews stories. I'm, we're big fans. Yeah. Jack and I've been awesome. Gorge. Yeah. Uh, we miss the Gorge. Oh, yeah. The Gorge is just a beautiful place for concerts. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 2021. That's right. We can always <laughs> one for yeah. a different reality and, you know, good exactly. on Dave for finding a great business and supporting you guys. <laughs> you know, that's just a testament in my mind to who he is yeah. and what he, what he pays attention to, which is yeah. smart people totally, like totally. you trying to do good in the world. So. Yeah. Like, yeah. And real quick, what date is it? September, September 30th, 30th, 30th is the concert. PM. 7, 7 p.m. We'll Tickets see you all there. And range we from ten dollars to a million dollars. Up to you. Yeah. You <laughs> choose can your choose. Own adventure. Yep, choose your own adventure there. <laughs> Careful when you punch in those zeros. Yeah. Right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Melissa. We appreciate your time. Thank you both. It's it's. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you on the next episode. <laughs>